our society today. I think everybody understands that. It was Albert Einstein that said that um, it's, a, it's a strange thing to be known so universally, so universally recognized, and yet be so lonely. Not interesting. The great Einstein, some would consider him the, the man that had the greatest mind of all time. Wealth, uh, un, unlimited number of people would love to, to fellowship with him, spend time with him, and yet it was said of him that he was a very, very lonely man. Surveys had been done, and uh, they, they, they think that somewhere between 30 and maybe 50% of, of people at any given time have just intense feelings of loneliness. Well, there's a reason for this, people. It's because God has created us in his image. God has created us for relationship. God describes himself or reveals himself as love. And you know as well as I do that in order to be loving, there's got to be somebody to love. There's got to be somebody there that will receive our love. So you and I were created in the image of God, which means we were created for relationship. And when we're not in relationship, that's when we are unhappy, when we are not connecting with our friends. Uh, we, we feel lonesome, we, and we, we, we're unhappy, and it causes depression, it causes, uh, it, it, it's, it's documented, it's caused, it causes physical illness. All kinds of problems come out of that feeling of loneliness, and people will do whatever they can not to be lonely. Now, it's interesting, you go back to the, to the very beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, when God created the earth, the Bible says that God said it was good. The sky is good. The earth is good. The, the moon and the, and the sun and the stars, they were good. And he created animals. They're good. He created Adam and, and he said that was good. There's only one thing that was not good. And the Bible says, and it really it's the very first problem we find in the Bible and in creation. God says it's not good for man to be alone. We were created... For relationship. When I say it's not good for man to be alone, uh, the, the word man is actually, a, a, you know, we translate it into man, but the Hebrew actually means mankind. It's not good for humans to be alone. So we, we understand today then that relationships, that friendship, is God's idea. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to actually be talking about, uh, about friendship, how to make friends, and in fact, how to keep friends. Take a look at the scripture verse with me, would you? It's found in John chapter 15, verses 12 to 13. And just before we read that verse, let me just say this. When Jesus speaks these words, he is literally in the last few weeks of his time here on earth. A lot of us don't realize that when we read this, this passage, that these are really Jesus' final words before going uh, back to heaven to be with the Father. Chapter 14 of John and chapter 16 of John is instruction from Christ all about, the, all about his leaving them, no longer being with them, what it will be like when he's gone, and seeing that they are, visual, they are visibly upset, um, already the pangs of loneliness are settling in. Sandwiched between those two chapters, we find chapter 15. And in that chapter... Jesus says to his disciples, 
I want you to look at each other and I want you to recognize that while I'm gone, you'll have each other. Look at the scripture with me and if you would read it with me. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now Jesus has already said to his disciples, whenever two or more are gathered together in my name, what happens? I am there in the midst of them. So here's the thing that we discover right at the very beginning of the whole Christian movement that began 2,000 years ago. You can experience the presence of God as you fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's absolutely thrilling. One of the great side effects of having godly Christian friends is that you experience the presence of God. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, don't, don't fret, don't sweat it, don't get all upset, don't be anxious. I may not be there physically for you, but I will be there in spirit. And it happens whenever believers come together in one accord or come together in his name. So I want you to just recognize something right off the bat. We were created for relationship. We're not created to be hermits. Some of the early, early so-called church fathers, they felt the best way that they could serve God was to, to distance themselves from people and from relationships and go hide in the, in the desert. They, they were called the desert fathers or hermits because they, they felt that in order for them to draw close to God, in order for them to be spiritual, they had to withdraw or be away from people. I can tell you, folks, there's nothing, nothing more contrary to Scripture than the idea that you should remove yourself or be distant from other human beings. This is not biblical, and it's not really spiritual. That might come as a shock. God does not want you to be a loner. He wants you to enter into relationship because that, my friends, is when you are healthiest. And look at that is when you are most like God, when you're in relationship, when you're in healthy relationship. So this morning what I want us to do is I want us to look at the teaching of Christ and discover the, the basics, two, two important basics of, of great friendships. And the first thing we recognize uh, I think you need to be committed to Jesus. In fact, you need to hang with people who are committed to Jesus. The basis for great relationships is that the people that you're trying to connect with are, are also interested in Jesus, not just you. So look at this. It says, this is my commandment, that you love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Love each other. Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, look, you know, when I go back to heaven, you know, ditch, these, ditch these guys and go find somebody else to hang out with. No, Jesus says you need to love these people. Love the people that are in your life. Love these people who have the same commitment that you have. And what's the common denominator? They all love Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you really want to enjoy a deep relationship with another human being, then you really have to find a common denominator, something that you are both equally interested in. And for the believer, it's you are pursuing Jesus and I am pursuing Jesus. Now there's people in this church that I wouldn't normally be friends with, except that we share one thing in common, and that is that we both love Jesus. In fact, if you look around here today, you'll see people who've come from different countries, different backgrounds. In our church, the, the socioeconomic uh, differences here are quite great. 
And yet here we are, all gathered together in Jesus' name, men and women and people from different countries. We're all praising God together, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we all love each other. And what's the common denominator? It's Jesus. This is the basis for a deep, meaningful, fulfilling relationship with another human being, is that you have a common pursuit, which is Jesus. Now, I'm going to just tell you something right now, because, and this might come as a shock. Anybody, everybody ready for a shock this morning? Some people have, it, have this idea that they can be friends with people who are not Christians. I want to tell you that according to the Bible, you cannot be friends with people who are not Christians. Did I hear a pin drop? You can't be. You can have acquaintances that are not Christians or that don't love your Jesus, but you cannot be friends. Because the definition of friendship is that you have a heart-to-heart connection. Apostle Paul pointed this out to the believers in Corinth who said, he said, well, what fellowship can darkness have with light? It doesn't go. What should happen is that when light gets together with darkness, the light should dispel the darkness. There should be no more darkness. But the fact of the matter is, is that we, who are oftentimes immature, we have a wrong idea of what friendship is, and we think that somehow we can go on having a deep and close relationship with somebody who doesn't love our Lord. Now, please, don't, I don't want anybody walking out of here mad. Pastor Allen wants us to be exclusive, and, and Pastor Allen hates sinners. That's not true. Absolutely not true at all. But how, you have to understand this. And again, this is going to shock some of you because you were raised with a very different idea. How many know today that Jesus is not the friend of sinners? Did I hear another pin drop? The Bible does not say that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Someone say, well, hold on. What about that verse? You know that verse in Luke, Luke chapter 7, verse 34 which says that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Well, let me just remind you that when you read the Bible and when you interpret it, you have to read it in context. And here's what the Bible says. The Son of Man, on the other hand, and this is, this is what Jesus knows the Pharisees are saying about him. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, you say. He's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Now, if you're telling me today, according to this, that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, then you also have to say that Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard. How many know today that Jesus was not a glutton and a drunkard? So you're saying, Pastor, are you saying that that Jesus doesn't love sinners? No, I didn't say that. Jesus does love sinners. And the Bible tells us over and over again that Jesus loves sinners so much that he laid down his life for them. But that doesn't make Jesus and the sinner friends. It just means that Jesus loves them. So then what is the relationship between Jesus and the sinner? Very simply this. Jesus is the Savior. We become friends with Jesus, according to Christ, when we do whatever he commands. That's what John chapter 15, verse 14 says. You are my friends if... There's the big if. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So Jesus is not the friend of sinners. He's the savior of sinners. You don't become a friend of Jesus until you start 
obeying him, until you give your life to him, until you say, Jesus, I surrender to you, I receive, I accept what you did for me at the cross. On that day, you become a friend of Christ. And the next wonderful part of that equation is that you become my friend as well. So friendship has got to be based on a commitment to Jesus Christ, on a, a, a commitment to the commands of Christ. That's what makes us friends. And that's where the depth, and that's where the, the meaning and the joy and the fulfillment comes from, is that you and I pursue a common love for Jesus Christ. I know some of you think, well, hold on a minute here. When I was a kid, we used to sing a hymn. It was called, uh, what was it called again? Oh yeah, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. So therefore, pastor, you must be wrong because the hymn says so. How many know that hymns are not scripture? Sometimes hymns are scripture. A hymn or a song, it's songs we're singing today, are an interpretation of the songwriter's uh, reading of the scripture. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you actually take a look at that hymn, the hymn is a little misleading in its title because it's, it's called Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. But the fact of the matter is, is that the song is really not about Jesus being a friend of sinners so much as being a savior of sinners. Listen to this. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a... Yeah, you know that song. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Before you can be a friend of Jesus, Jesus has to be your Savior. Before you can be a friend with somebody, he's got to accept Jesus as his Savior. That's the basis for friendship. That's the basis for lasting friendship. In fact, the Bible is very clear. Again, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so I'm going to say this to you today. You who have been uh, under the idea that, you know what, I'm going to be friends with people who are not believers, it, it can't be done, at least not if you want to follow Jesus. Because here's what's going to happen. The Bible's clear. Uh, you become like the people you hang with. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Bad character corrupts. You cannot... Be friends with those who don't believe what you believe. It's as plain and simple as that. Now, it sounds, it sounds very harsh. Look, at, here's what you have to understand about the Scripture, is that we do not recreate it and interpret it through our experience or through what we wish or what we hope or what we wish could be. We come and surrender. This is what faith is really all about. We come and surrender to the will of God. And we've got to say, God, not my will, but thine be done. This is what radical discipleship is. This is what radical followership is. We say, God, how do you want me to live? And Jesus is saying very clearly, love each other. Love the ones that love Jesus. Does it mean we hate we hate people that don't love Christ. I didn't say that. In fact, Jesus is, it clearly says this, that Jesus went and hung out with the tax collectors and with the sinners. But notice this. They were not influencing him. He was influencing them. There's a guy in Bible school, and uh, we thought he was so cool. Because you know what? He decided he was going to have a special ministry 
uh, in bars. And he was going to go and try to win people to Christ that went to bars. So how many know that barkeepers generally do not like Christians coming in, standing on tables and waving their Bible around? You're not going to see that in bars. Or not very often, anyway. So this guy, not allowed to stand up, he thought he would just you know, hang out at the bar, maybe have a few beers here and there. Long story short, it was just a short time. It wasn't even a whole semester when this guy had completely turned away from God and become like the people he was hanging with. Now, it shouldn't come as a shock because Jesus promises that that's what will happen. If you're not influencing the people in your life, then they're influencing you. Someone said to me this morning, well, what happens if some of your family are not Christians? Or what happens if none of them are family? Or none of your family are Christians? So I said, well, cut them off. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Look, at they're your family. You go and have Christmas dinner with them. And you are as close to them as you possibly can. Keeping in mind that you, you'll never be close to somebody who doesn't pursue what you pursue. So don't get, all, don't get yourself all in knots about, oh, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, they don't love me, or they're just so miserable. Look, at, they're, if they're not believers, you're not going to make a connection. And I know that from personal experience, my own personal struggle. And I'll tell you, it took a long time to come to the place where I understood that there's some people that you'll never be close to. But I do know this, is that anybody who loves my Jesus is somebody that I can be close to. If you love my Jesus, then you and I are going to be friends. Jesus said, love each other. Love the people that God has put in your life. Love these people who also love Christ. I've got people that I know that, uh, you know, they live in the city and they're Christians, and they say, you know, we should get together. And I, like, I, just, like, I don't want to be offensive, but I want to say to them, well, if you come to my church, then I'll... I'll be glad to hang out with you, but I've got a lot of friends in my own church I don't hardly have time for. Am I being exclusive? No, I'm not being exclusive. Am I being miserable? No, I'm not trying to be miserable. But the fact is, is that you're the people that God has put in my life. And my job is to fellowship with you, to connect with you. Now, if you're going to have great relationships, great friendships, f- friendships that are truly satisfying, I think some of us may have to readjust our line of friends, and maybe there's some that we're going to have to drop. And you don't have to be crude about it to get on the phone and say, you know what, you're not a Christian, you're done. I want nothing to do with you anymore, stucka. I'm done. I follow Jesus. I've got no time for you. Like, don't do that. Don't be stupid about it. But you'd have to understand that your job as a Christian is to do what Jesus did, to be salt and light. And if necessary, you might have to cut back. You might have to just say, you know what, I'm not influencing you. You're influencing me. Whenever I'm with you, I I come away with a bad attitude. I come away saying things I wouldn't normally say. I come away thinking things I wouldn't normally think. Look, you make that decision right now because I'm going to tell you, The people that you are hanging with will affect you for good or for bad. And God's calling you to enjoy great relationships. It's his idea. And the way he says to do it is by hanging out with others of like mind, light heart. Now, 
be committed to Jesus is the beginning of the equation. The second half of this equation, great relationships, is you need to be committed to each other. How many have heard the expression, to have a friend, you have to be a friend? You've heard that before, haven't you? And, and also, uh, how, how about this one? A hug is like a boomerang. You get it back right away. Have you heard that? Isn't that profound? Write that down. What are we saying? Basically, we're saying this, is that you get whatever you put in. So if you want to enjoy great relationships, then you're going to have to do something about it. Instead of sitting back and waiting for it to happen to you, you've got to make the first move. Did you hear that? You've got to take the first move. You have to do whatever you can do to nurture that relationship. With so many people, for most of us, there may be a few saints here, but for the rest of us, it comes right down to it, we're pretty self-centered. And everybody said, there's six of us, <laughs> hold on a minute, Pastor, I didn't come to church to get insulted. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is we are self-centered people. And, and our feeling is this, is that I will be nice to you, but you've got to be nice to me first. I will be glad to give to you, but you've got to give to me first. Or I've got to get something out of this. Okay, can I just tell you this right now? Here's what Jesus says. He's given this great instruction for us to have, how to have great relationships. And he says this, this is my commandment. Read that with me. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Can you just stop for, the, for a moment? Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love his disciples? How did he love us? Well, he explains this to us in verse 13. Read it with me. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, can I ask you a question? Is this the kind of love that you have for the people in your life? Are you prepared and are you willing to lay down your life for the people in your life? Now, can I just say this? This doesn't just apply you know, to, your, uh, to your, you know, your friends or acquaintances. This applies to everybody that you have relationship with. Because the word friend, when we hear the word, the word friend, we generally think well, that's, that's not somebody we're related to. But if you look at that word friend in the Greek, it's, it really says the one you're fond of. It's, it's the one you're fond of. That's, that's what it says in Greek. So the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is calling us to lay down our life for all the people we're fond of. And I hope, I hope that if you're married, the one that you're fond of is your spouse. <laughs> Hello? And I see a couple there looking at each other just, well, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> that's a good question. Do I, am I really fond of you? It's your children. Are you fond of your kids? Some are saying, not today. <laughs> are you fond of your boss? The people you work with? Don't answer these questions. <laughs> are, you, are you fond of your neighbors? You see, Jesus is calling us to serve these people, to lay down our lives for these people, to literally give our lives for the sake of those who are in our, in our path, in our life. This August, I'm going to be married to Gloria for 23 years. Go ahead. When I, when I married her, I thought I was really in love with her. And I was. But after 23 years, 
I feel like the love that I had then was, is nothing compared to how I feel now and how she feels about me. It's unbelievable. You say, well, Pastor, I'd like to know what your secret is. I'll tell you what our secret is. When we first married each other, we made a decision that we, with all our hearts, we try to serve one another. We try to, as the Bible says, we try to outdo each other in loving each other. And so for 23 years, I've been married to this woman who tries to outdo me in, in serving me and caring for me and helping me. Uh, and I, 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 frankly, I find it very difficult to try to outdo her. She's awfully good at it. But I'm working hard to, to beat her. Listen, here, here's, the, here's the kind of fights that Christians should be having. The, 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 the only fight that you should be having with your spouse or, or your children or the people in your life is who gets to outdo each other. It's my turn to wash the, the laundry. Did you, has anybody had a fight like that recently? <laughs> it's my turn to clean the car. No, it's my turn. You just imagine those kind of fights with your kids. Get out, let, let me clean the garage. It's my turn. Yeah, it's my, it's, it's my turn to vacuum the floor. Look at you say, well, that sounds utopian, Pastor. Yeah, that's Christianity. That's Christianity in its most beautiful form. Two people coming together, trying to outdo each other in loving one another. Now listen to me, that is where you get the greatest joy, the greatest happiness, the greatest satisfaction in your life. One of the signs of, I guess, of getting old is that you start to reflect and look back. And now that I'm an older guy, uh, I look back and I say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've given to me. A wonderful wife and wonderful children that truly love me. Some of you may notice that I've been struggling up here with my, with my eye. Anybody notice that? Um, I had Botox. Now, before anybody thinks, oh, pastor, I didn't know. I knew you were vain, but not that vain. <laughs> Look, it, it's, it was not for, it didn't work for that. I can tell you that. It looked worse than ever. I, some of you know that I've got a bit of a twitch in my cheek that came from some surgeries from a few years back. There was some nerve damage. And it twitches constantly. When I'm tired, it just, it twitches like crazy. And uh, um, I went to the doctor, and the doctor suggested that maybe what I should have is some Botox. So I said, okay, I'll try that. And so I went to the doctor, and he put, I don't know, like two in my upper lid, two in my lower lid, and then one in the side here. So now my eye doesn't close. Doctors. My nose is running constantly because this eye doesn't close properly. I'm looking at my kids, and I'm, I'm laughing. We're, we're in the kitchen together with my kids, and I'm laughing. This eye's closed, and this one's wide open. <laughs> Nicholas looks at me and says, what is the matter with you? And he starts laughing. Sarah gets a, gets a hold of this, so she's crying laughing so hard. Here's all my kids laughing at me when I'm in distress. <laughs> Look at this. My nose won't stop running. 
and my church family, they're all laughing at me. Like, nobody loves me. I, it's terrible. It's just, it's really quite depressing. Do you know what? I didn't get offended. I didn't get offended at my kids. You know, what I, you know what I realized? I realized we have such a great relationship that, that we're able to laugh at ourselves and enjoy each other's company. There's not, not many that could say that about their teenagers. And I, Believe me, I'm not bragging because, look, I know human nature and I know that things can go south like that. But I do know this, is that I love my kids unconditionally. And they know it. And they know that if they laugh at me because I'm, I got a problem, they know I'm not, I'm gonna, not gonna hate their guts. They don't know this, but I walked away and I just said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for these great relationships. This didn't happen by accident. This happened through very carefully trying to observe the teachings of Jesus Christ, who calls us to love each other. How? To the point where we're willing to lay down our lives for each other. How much, did, how much does Jesus love us? He loves us this much. He was spiked to a tree because of his great love for you and me. Jesus sets for us an example that we should follow in his steps, that we should love each other the way that Jesus loved us. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you love the people in your life? Did you come here this morning fighting with your spouse on the way to church? You mad at your kids because they weren't ready on time, they made you wait, they made you blow your horn? Your kids didn't do what you wanted them to do or didn't behave the way you, the, you wanted them to behave. I mean, you know. Look at God's calling us to love each other unconditionally. And it goes a step beyond that even. Jesus calls us not only to give, but he calls us to forgive. For some of you, it's time to let go of that thing that has caused you such bitterness, such anger. It's time for you to let it go. And this morning, the Spirit of God is speaking to you, and the Spirit of God is saying it's time for you to forgive. Let go of that anger. Let go of that bitterness. I'm going to tell you there's nobody here who has loved so much that they've actually had to die. But that is the standard. That's the gold standard that Jesus sets for you and me. So if you want to have friends, you have to take the initiative. You've got to take the first step. Because I know some husbands right now, they say, oh, pastor, I will love my wife, but she's got to love me first. She's got to make the first move. No, you've got to make the first move. Can you imagine a relationship where, where both people are doing everything in their power to be like Jesus to one another? Now, having said that, here's the, here's the sad, sad truth, because we're not in heaven yet. The sad truth is, is that sometimes it's very one-sided, now, can I, I'm just going to throw out a warning to you right now. If you're in a relationship where one, one side is giving more than the other, it becomes very lopsided, and it's not long before the relationship begins to break down. 
And some of you are on the verge of getting there right now. I'm going to tell you this. You can reverse it immediately by taking the first step and saying, I'm sorry. Take the first step and say, you know what? I was wrong. How many know that the hardest words in the world to say are, I'm sorry? Men have a really hard time with that. And the lady said, (laughs) oh boy, you're in trouble. (laughs) It's tough to say. I was wrong. That's tough to say. Forgive me. That's tough to say. And yet, folks, this is the basis of great relationships. Because friendship is not about what you get. It's what you give. And if you're not willing to give, then you will never be satisfied in your friendships. You will never, ever be close to anyone. Because the, the basis of friendship is, is, is giving. Now, I just want to close with this. Because I know some of you today are just saying, you know what, being, having friendships and, and entering into relationships, it's such a risky business. It's tough. What, what happens if they let me down? What happens if they fail me? What happens if I'm vulnerable and, and it, it, it bites back? Well, the best thing that I can do is to point you to Jesus. Jesus, when he began his ministry, chose 12 to follow him and hang out with them literally for three years. They ate together, they slept together, they fished together, they traveled together. These these 12 plus Jesus, they were moving all over the countryside. And Jesus took a huge risk investing in really some, you know, some of these guys were not, not great guys. I mean, Matthew, tax collector, wow. And these fishermen, I mean, they're not educated. They're not what you would call the cream of the crop in society. I mean, they certainly, certainly would not have been a prestigious group to hang out with. But these are the ones that Jesus chose to be friends with. He took a huge risk. Now, here we are, John chapter 15, just really, literally hours away from the cross. And Jesus knows the heart-wrenching truth about his friends, he knows that they're all going to betray him. Some of you thought it was just Judas that betrayed Jesus, but it wasn't. It was all of them. They all betrayed him. And what's more, he knew that that was going to happen because there was a prophecy about it. Knowing that they're going to betray him, he still takes the risk of being their friend of serving them, of giving to them, of loving them, embracing them, and calling them his very own. He still takes the risk. And you know the story. Jesus is arrested, led by the ultimate betrayer, Judas, who betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Wow. If I were Jesus, I don't know if I would accept someone like Judas into my company. I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's heinous. But it wasn't just Judas that betrayed Jesus. It was all of them. They all deserted him. They all left him alone to die on a cross. The worst possible death that any human being could ever experience. And where are his friends? Hiding. 
These are the ones that promise, Jesus, I'll never, never leave you. And if anybody tries to touch you, man, I'm going to be there. I'll get my sword and I'll let them have it. Gone. But Jesus took the risk. He made the investment. And it's tough. One of them turned out to be a real dud, but guess what? The other 11 came through in the end. And that is the rest of the story. Jesus, who took the risk, was not disappointed because 11, in the end, were prepared and willing to do what Jesus did. 11 of them laid down their lives for Jesus' sake. Isn't that amazing? Jesus laid down his life for them, and they, in turn, laid down their lives for him. You might be here today afraid to enter into relationships. You've been burned once or twice. And quite frankly, you know, you just don't want to get close to anybody else. But I'm going to tell you this. Relationships, friendship, that's God's idea. And God knows that when you are in a healthy Christian relationship, that is when you're the strongest. That's when you're the happiest. I invite you to stand with me, please, as we pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for this family that I belong to. I want to say thank you, Father, for these people who are pursuing God with all their heart. God, I know that as, as, as a man that there are ways that I fail people here and there's some here that maybe even maybe have some feelings of resentment towards me because I have failed them in some way. God, we thank you today that even though we may fail each other, God, you never fail. And we love each other, God, not because people never fail us. We love each other because you commanded it. And that's the basis for everything that we do. Not because it always means a happy ending, but because Jesus commanded it. And God, we pray right now that you give us the grace and the strength to obey you and do your will. You've called us to love each other to the point of laying down our lives for one another. God, surely, the community of believers like that, a family of believers like this, surely, God, this, this will attract the lonely and the brokenhearted. God, we pray that if there are any here today who, who are, are, are lonesome and hungry for a relationship, we pray, God, that they would find it in our family and that they would not be too afraid to ask Father, I commit myself to you and, and this congregation to you, asking that you give us the grace to be like Jesus to one another and to be careful to seek out friends who love Jesus as much as we do. And so, God, we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Would you tell that person beside you, go find a friend? <laughs>